welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last week, we ended with Jesus giving food to about 20,000 people, uh, which is a very, very interesting uh, miracle that he had there. And what a miracle it was for 20,000 people to participate in this one miracle, for all of them to experience what was going on and, and to literally go, where did all this fish come from? Where did all this bread come from? And as it spread out that, that this man down here named Jesus... He's the one that provided it. And it was a miracle. It just like appeared. And the story to to go out and for 20,000 of them to experience it was unbelievable. But I don't want us to forget about why this miracle happened. This miracle happened because these people were seeking the truth. They were seeking miracles. They they needed help. And when they saw help, they went toward that help. In fact, they came running toward that help. And they did not want to leave. These people had saw um, Christ as he had entered into the boat, and they're kind of going, okay, where's he going next? And, and, and you have to remember at the beginning of uh, the previous scripture that we went on, John, um, you know, the early in, or late in 5 and early in 6, Jesus was trying to get away from the crowd. John the Baptist had just been uh, beheaded. His brother, his, his friend, his, his just, you know, the one that he looked at and said, no one is greater than this man had just been killed. So he literally is trying to get away. And the people see him as he's going across the lake. They go running around the edges. I mean, this lake is huge. This lake is not a little small lake. They go go running around to find out where he was going to be. And they met him when he got off. And it said that the, the word last week said that he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. He looked at them and was moved with compassion. He cared enough about them to look past what was going on and even his own need of going, I I want to get away so I can mourn, so I can be with my father. He looked past that need and he looked at them. He didn't allow it to overwhelm him. He was tired, but he was also moved. So he worked through being tired and he spent all day teaching and, and healing and providing for the people. And the scripture said last week that, that he looked upon them as, a, as sheep without a shepherd. And he began the process of becoming their shepherd. And a good shepherd that he is. So this kind of this week kind of got me going and, and thinking, well, what is a good shepherd? Well, first of all, a good shepherd protects his sheep. He's teaching them God's ways. He's trying to protect them from, from all this other stuff that's out there in the world that goes contrary to who God is and what God wants and, and how God wants to participate in their life. He's hanging around with them. He's teaching them how to, how to treat each other. He's spending time with them. He warns them about the wolves. He warns them about the false teachers. He warns them about the wrong direction in life that you can go. And he points you toward the right direction. A good shepherd protects his sheep. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Secondly, he heals them. 
A good shepherd will protect his, you know, a sheep from outside forces, but he'll also begin that process of trying to heal them. Now, some of them, you know, as they've been, oh, you, you know how sheep are. Well, maybe you don't know how sheep are. Sheep just kind of go off on their own sometimes, and they'll get hurt. So some of them, they're physically hurt, and he's going around going, well, tell me about how, what is your pain? What are you hurting about? Let me heal you from that. And sometimes it was immediate healing. And sometimes he was like, well, if you stop doing this, you'll be healed. You know, he kind of, he, he worked with them on that kind of stuff. Let me take, that, uh, take care of that for you. Man, you, you really hurt yourself here. Let me see that. So, almost like a doctor. Let me, let me do, you know, I can heal you of that. But also he heals them mentally. Because you have to remember, they've been, you know, oppressed by the Roman government. They've been oppressed by their, their high priests for, for many years that were really following, um, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but one of the Herods, he literally killed the high priest so he could put in his high priest. He killed a lot of the Sanhedrin and uh, you know, a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees that didn't agree with him. When he came to power, he just had him killed and installed his own people. So his own, you know, the, those that are supposed to be protecting Israel weren't even protecting them. So he, he helped them get past those certain things in life that just really oppressed them. And he pointed them toward God. A good shepherd. Christ was like that in these areas. Now the only way to really know what ails a person, what what hurts a person, is to get out there and talk to them. The only way to, to know what's going on in somebody's life is to spend time with them. And that's what Christ was doing here. And this is a great example for us as we're all saints. As we're all, um, you know, priestly, you know, the priestly family. You know, it's not just me up here teaching you guys. We are all in this together. And the only way to know what ails a person is spend time with them. So I believe that, that is, you know, all these people were eating, all these 20,000, you know, it was, uh, they, they said it was, what, uh, about 5,000 men. Well, then you add in the women and children, so somewhere around 20,000, that he was out walking around and talking with those that were out there on the hillside. Now, thirdly, a good shepherd provides for them. After protecting them, after healing them, he also provides for them. He gave them food, the basic necessity in life. And he does it in a way that no one can dispute what happened. No one cannot say that this is a miracle. No one can, you know, no one can say, well, they just, they went out and bought all this stuff, all the bakeries. They, they, they did a pre-order and it, was, it worked great. No one can say that. No one can say the bakery supplied it. No one can say the fishermen were out there fishing all day and they, they brought it all in. No, they were all on shore listening to Christ. It was a miracle and he provided this for them. The basic necessities in life. So a good shepherd will protect, he will heal, and he'll provide for them. And this is a great picture of what Christ is and, and should be for our own lives. And the only way to receive these things from Jesus is literally sometimes to chase him around the lake. To jump out there and literally go, okay, where's Jesus going to be? I want to go meet him where he's going to be. And that means spending time with the Father. Sometimes that lake is, is, is a huge lake. You're sitting there going, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to get over there. That's a long walk around that lake. Well, think of it this way. They walked everywhere. We drive. So drive around the lake. Drive to the next city. Drive wherever you need to go to find Jesus. I mean, you kind of get the picture here. Kind of joking around here, but do whatever it is you need to do to get to Christ. Remember, Jesus originally came over here to, to be alone, but they followed him. 
Have you ever tried to be alone? You know, you're just like, I wanted some alone time and people just won't leave me alone. Okay, the ladies are all shaking their head. Okay, men, we just go to the garage. No one wants to go. We don't know what they're doing. They're just out in the garage. You know, women, you know, the kids just, oh, the kids today, you know. Sometimes it almost feels like you just can't get alone. Or maybe even those managing an office. Somebody's at your door every hour. You can't get your work done. My brother and I were talking about this when we were in Canada fishing. He couldn't get his work done because everybody's coming to him. He's now the boss. His first experience doing that. But thank the Lord Jesus that he doesn't get mad and tell everybody to go away. He had compassion on the people. Let's pick it up in John 6.15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over to the sea, went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. I could imagine. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump to Matthew 14. I'm going to spend a little more time there um, on this particular day because it gives a few more details in there that, that I'd like to bring out. So Matthew 14, 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So here we get, kind of get this picture of immediately. In other words, Jesus is kind of going, okay guys, it's time for you to go. I need some, some alone time. You, you get in the boats. And when he sent the, uh, while he sent the multitudes away, and when he sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, Why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, well, let's take apart this story. Jesus put the disciples in the boat and sent them away. Almost as if he was in a hurry. You know, John John kind of gives us a clue in there, and he says that Jesus perceived that the crowd was literally ready to take him in in a way by force, and make him into king. He'd spent the day teaching and healing and and feeding the masses, and and they were so satisfied. 
And they were ready for Jesus, not only to be the Messiah, but ready for him to be the leader that would throw off the Roman oppression, the Roman government that was controlling their world. They looked at at him and said, man, if he can do this with fish and bread, imagine what he could do to the Roman government. I mean, this is nothing. So they were ready to do that. And Jesus, knowing that, that this was not really his purpose, that his time had not really fully come yet, Because they wanted a warrior, a warrior to ride in to take care of Rome. So instead of hanging around and going, okay, guys, no, 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 that's really not my purpose, he decided, okay, now it's time to leave. He kind of just shut the whole thing down. Well, if I disappear, then they'll calm down. He didn't stay around to to allow them to get all stirred up. He's like, okay, guys, let's go, get in the boat, get in the boat. And he kind of just shoves them off and he stays. And he goes up to the mountainside. His disciples became a little concerned. He, you know, he's saying, I I need a little alone time. I need to go up and and spend some time with my father. And this is a very interesting thing for, for, you know, about Jesus. And if you want to do a study in prayer, study Jesus and how he prayed. Study Jesus and, and how he went to the father over multiple occasions. Because most of the time, he went off alone to pray. We, we, we think we have to do it, and, you know, okay, let's get our groups together, and, okay, if we're out to eat, the pastor always prays. You know, that's kind of my inside joke, you know. Some reason, it's always that way. So now it is that way because I've said it too many times. But we think we, it has to be a group thing. Jesus often went off by himself. And it seems that closer and closer as he got to the crucifixion the, the, that time, then more and more he does this. You know, one year ago today, those of us that, that had the, the, the chance to, to go to Israel, uh, you know, we got to spend time in one of the places that Jesus went away to pray. And this is a view from that area. You know, right across from the Temple Mount uh, is, is the Mount of Olives. And on this mountainside was just a whole bunch of olive groves. And, and they had what, what they call the Garden of Gethsemane over there on that mountainside somewhere. So we got to spend some time where, you know, it could have, uh, not saying that this actual little cased off area was the Garden of Gethsemane, but it's in the same area that that night that, that, that Jesus was arrested, he was praying out to his father. In the middle of the city... In the middle of all this hubbub and, and all the, the, the noise of going around, the cars and all the honking and all the people, and you know, I mean, the, Israel's just packed with people. We got to spend about a, you know, a good 40 minutes in there, just alone. And we split our group apart, and we said, you know what, just go, go talk with Jesus. Go talk with Christ. Go talk to the Father. Because we're just, you know, on a trip like this, you want to see everything. I mean, you know, of all the places, you know, the, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem where, you know, where the pigs ran off the, the, the hillside into the, you know, the Sea of Galilee. I mean, all those are really cool places to actually go to, to the valley, the actual valley where David killed Goliath. I mean, all these cool places. Afterward, we got back and we sat around and we started discussing, what was one of your favorite parts of the trip? And almost everyone said... The time we spent in the garden. The time alone that we spent with our Father. It was really important. Because on these trips, you just go and you go and you go. The short times when we go to spend time with Jesus can be the special times in our lives. 
And we really miss out if we don't go to Him. We really miss out if we don't go to the Father and spend some time with Him. When's the last time you went to Jesus? I mean, literally. Not, not oh, well, let me pray before the meal. Okay, we're, we're having some dessert. We're having some people. Over. Let, let's pray. No. When's the last time you really went to your Father? Let me encourage you to do it more and more and more. Let's follow the example that the Lord sets for us here. Get away from everything and go to Him. Jesus needs some alone time to be with His Father. To replenish Himself spiritually, mentally, emotionally, because He still didn't have time to to mourn John the Baptist. So He takes this moment. It's almost like when, you know, with a family, you go, okay, everybody's in bed, wife is on Facebook, or the husband's in there watching TV. You know, it's that time when you're sitting there going... I have some time to finally just go, oh, and think about myself for a second. I want to encourage you not to completely waste that time. Don't fill it up with, with watching too much TV or, or don't fill it up with, oh, the dishwasher needs to be unloaded right now. Oh, the laundry needs to be done. I have some time so I can get my stuff done. Don't fill it up with those things. Go and seek your Father. If you want to be like Jesus, you would be more this way. And that's the process. That's the journey we're all on. And, and different people are at different po- points in that journey. And that's a great thing. But let's continue the journey by going forward, not staying in one place. You know, it's not, you know, on a trip, you don't get off on the freeway to fill up with gas and just go, okay, sounds good to me. We're here. We'll just stay here for a little while. That's what you do when your car breaks down or you get stuck. That's not what you do when you're, you're on the journey. There's no substituting any, you know, alone time with the Father. It's great to come on Sunday mornings. It's great to, to have Monday night Bible studies, Wednesday night Bible studies, and, and, you know, and our ladies groups that get together. And, and, and spending that fellowship time is like, I don't know how many, I, I just saw a horde of women going shopping from the parking lot yesterday. So I hid in here until they left. And Those are all great things. But you also have to get alone to pray. One of the ways to stay spiritually immature is by not spending some time with the Father. If your goal is to stay spiritually immature, then don't go spend time with God at all. Don't. If your goal is to stay spiritually immature, then don't follow the ways that Jesus would want us to go. Don't read your word. Now, how many of you would say, okay, yeah, I want to stay spiritually immature? No hands. I want to encourage you to get into the Word. I want to encourage you to go to your Father. Now, you know, we look at certain people and, you know, they're like, well, I spend an hour and a half every morning in prayer when I get up. And we just think, oh, they're so spiritually mature. You know what? Don't, don't worry about all that. You start out spending with your three minutes, your five minutes, your 15 minutes, and then let it grow. And then, then you, can, you and the Lord decide how much time you need in the mornings or in the afternoons or the evenings to be with Him. It doesn't have to be a certain time, you know, oh man, I, I finally made it to spiritual maturity because I, you know, I, I'm up to 45 minutes. No, it's, it's not like that. We don't have to do that. If Jesus had time to get away with all the needs that were out there, because guess what? Your family needs you. I mean, I need my wife to do a lot of things. And sometimes I'm like, 
can you give me another Diet Coke? When I'm sitting, you know, in my favorite chair. You know? Our father-in-law, he needs us right now as he lives with us and we take care of his, as his health is, you know, up and down and all over the place. But in the middle of all that, we can't forget to go to the Lord. People need you. People needed Jesus to heal them. Hence why there's 20,000 people out on the hillside. But don't forget to go to the Father. So Jesus had some alone time. And while the disciples were, were out on the lake, they got into the storm. And Mark tells us that somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, if you're out on the lake between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that means there's got to be a storm because usually you're not out on the lake at that time. I don't care how good of a fisherman you are, you know. Maybe 6 a.m., but not 3. And Jesus saw them straining and rowing against the wind. Matthew tells us in Matthew 14, it says, you know, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. This word contrary means, you know, blowing in the exact opposite direction. You know, if they just turned the boat around, it'd just be fine. They'd just go back over to the other side of the lake. Now, that would be a very dangerous move if you've been out of the lake. I'm, my, uh, about 12 years ago or 10 years, uh, 11 years ago, I was in, uh, with my father fishing and we're out on a big lake and, and uh, the storm just came out of nowhere. It was up in Canada and... It, took, it would take like 15 minutes to get across the lake, you know, going full bore on the, on the engine. But we couldn't go that direction because the wind was blowing and the way we had it, you know, luckily we had a motor. If we had oars, well, we did have oars because my last name is Orr, but if we had, um, <laughs> sorry, um, I mean, if we didn't have a motor and had paddles out there, there you go, paddles, it would be much more difficult. So we're like, instead of going straight across the lake, we had to go this way, and then we had to go back that way because of the way the waves were going. It's very dangerous to try to turn a boat in the middle of a lake, especially when you're doing it by paddles. So these guys were up against the wind. In the middle of all this, all of a sudden they look back or look to the side, and something is coming at them. And the Bible says they cried out, Phantasma este, it is a ghost. I had to look that one up in the Greek. I don't know why. Now, we don't know how Jesus did this. We just know that he did this. I could imagine if I was out there in the middle of the night in a boat and something, you know, out of darkness started appearing, seemed to be walking on the water or is walking on the water, I might even cry out, it's a ghost. And here comes Jesus kind of walking across the water. Now, like I said, we don't know how he did it. He just did it. It's funny how some people will believe in God, but then they have to come up with some scientific explanation. You know, he's the creator of the world, but we've got to figure out how scientifically he walked on water. He's creator of the human body, but somehow we've got to figure out scientifically how he walked on water. Oh, he did it like this. He did it like that. All I know is, is he walked on water. If he can create the water, he can walk on it. You know, Mark tells us, if you go and read it in Mark, it, it's almost like he was walking past them. You know, almost, you know how guys are. We, we got to win. I'm going to get there before them. It's almost like God's sense of humor kind of showing there. So they were freaked out. They weren't getting anywhere. Water was really rough. And Jesus kind of walks up, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? Okay, not really. But it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. He says the words, I 
am. Do not fear. You know, it's almost like Greek and, or, or English and Spanish. You know, the word order all switches. Same thing with Greek and English. He literally says, I am, cheer up. Did you catch the name of God in there? I am. To extend this out, he basically says, cheer up, guys. Be courageous. Do not fear. I am. In the Old Testament, this is the name of, of, of God. Moses standing before the, the burning bush. And, and, you know, God's already convinced him to go to Pharaoh. And he goes, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And the Lord just says, I am. So he tells them, don't be afraid. I am. Now the disciples have a decision to make. Are they going to believe their senses? Or are they going to believe just what they heard? Are they going to believe that, man, there's a storm out there, and the way the waves are going, the way the winds are coming up, there's no way anybody could be out there on top of the water? Are they going to believe what they're seeing? Are they going to look out, and they're going to see Jesus walking on the water and believe that he is the I Am? Where is the safest place right now? Well, logic would tell us in the boat. Being out on a rough lake before... The boat is a good place to be, unless you're like my dad and flip the boat. But that's a whole other story. Verse 28, it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now think about this. From my perspective, this is a really dumb thing to say. If it is you, tell me to come to you. If it is not you, then don't. Now, I've reasoned this out. I mean, it could have been a ghost or a spirit. I mean, we, we do believe that, that, that there's the otherworldly, there's that spiritual side of things that we do not see. This could be even Satan himself, the devil coming out saying, yeah, come on out, you know. But Simon Peter is really either impulsive here or really intuitive. And I'm not sure which one he is at this point. Because what he's saying is this, Lord, change me so much that I can walk on water. I know I've been a fisherman all these years. I know I've fished this lake all these years. I know I've never seen anything like this before. I know what water does when you step on it. And even though all logic says the boat is safer, Lord, if it's really you, call me to come out. And the Lord said, come. So he climbs right out of the boat, knowing better. Knowing that the best bet of safety right here and now is the boat. Peter climbs out of the boat and he begins to walk toward Jesus. You know the story, don't you? When his eyes get off Jesus, what happens? He starts to sink. His eyes got off of Jesus and started looking at the wind and the waves. And he begins to sink and he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And I'm sure it was more like a scream. And Jesus says, nope, you get what you deserve. You shouldn't have got out of the boat. (laughs) No, another funny thing I thought about is he came up with a little nickname for him. It says, oh, you of little faith. It says in in the original, it says, oh, little faith. I could imagine the guys in the boat just kind of cracking up. Oh, that's a great name. We're going to call him Oh Little Faith. And Jesus looking at them going, Oh, you of no faith, you know, in the boat. 
Verse 32, it says, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Jesus picks up Peter out of the water. And they walk back to the boat. And the disciples were so amazed that when they got into the boat, they worshipped him. If they haven't been amazed already by all the other miracles, they're amazed now. Most of these guys were fishermen. They, they'd lived around this lake. They knew what they... I'm sure they had friends and relatives possibly even died in that lake. And here's a man that could walk on that lake. They could pick Peter up out of the water. Who do you think worshipped God the most? I think Peter did at that point. I think Peter got it. Everyone else watched the miracle. But Simon Peter was involved in the miracle. In the course of 12 hours, he's participated in two different miracles that defeated nature. Two miracles where molecules didn't do what molecules do. Two miracles where time and space were, were interesting in, you know, in regard to matter. Today, we, we know a lot more about science than they did back then. But not any more you know, about these two miracles. All we can say is these were miracles. If you're willing to step out in faith like Simon Peter, then you are going to see some things and experience some things that other people do not get to see and do not get to experience. And, and you say, Lord, I really want to get to know you. I really want to see how you work. I really want to see how you operate. You know, th- this is a very dangerous prayer in some ways. Because you know what he'll say to you? He'll either say, bring me those loaves and fishes... Or get out of the boat and walk toward me. And then we have a decision to make. Either way, what is happening is that you're going to have to take a risk that goes against your nature. Now, what is your nature? Maybe you're a particularly cautious person. Or maybe you're a rational person. You know, maybe you're a person that you have to know all the details before you do something. Or you have to get it all figured out. Do you tend to figure things out before other people do? That can either be a blessing or a curse. Do you tend to rationalize it or reason things out? Do you tend to argue with the Lord? If that is the case, then then your walk with the Lord can take a huge leap. If you're willing to say, Lord, whatever is in my hands, these fish, this bread, whatever is on the other side of that, you know, the boat edge, You want this? I'll give it to you. I don't care if I've reasoned out that this is my lunch and I don't have enough to feed 20,000 people. I got my lunch. I don't know what they... They didn't stop by 7-Eleven and get it before they were coming. I don't care if you've reasoned out that, you know, this is is my boat and I know more about boating than you are. You're you're a carpenter from Nazareth. You're, You're not a boat guy. You're not a lake guy. What do you know about boats? And yet... Walking toward me is Jesus showing me that he does know. And it draws me toward a greater faith. You know the beautiful thing about this miracle is? Only 12 people observed it. Only 12 men got to watch it. If I was Jesus, and praise the Lord I'm not, I would have continued the previous miracle by walking on water in front of all the people. I would have been like handing out flyers, 
you know, selling tickets, get a little money for the ministry or whatever. Well, it's, it's going to help people. Why? Because I would have wanted them to see it because I would have wanted them to believe. For them to understand instantly who I was. But Jesus is so different. He performs this miracle, this great miracle for 12 people. And this is what I love about the Lord. He's not playing to an audience. He's not showing up, you know, you know going, hey, I'm better than that guy. Let me show him up. You know. He wants us to be a Peter. He wants us to step out in faith. You know, there, there's another storm that they endured on this lake. And you might, you might remember they had to wake him up while they were out there freaking out. They finally go down, what are you doing sleeping? Come on, man. John tells us that the storm ceased when they got to the boat. And the land was right there. So either they were getting really close or immediately the Lord took the boat where it needed to be. And this is what's so fascinating. We're in the middle of the storm and we're thinking, how am I going to get over there? How am I going to get through this big mess? Because I look around and there's all this junk between me and where I need to go. The reality of it is this. We look to the Lord to solve our issues. And then we end up in the right, perfect place when he does. The right time, the Lord will solve whatever issue is going on in your life. All we have to do is be willing to say, Lord, call me to you and I'll get out of this boat. It involves that back and forth. It involves that that relationship. It involves more than just Sunday morning or Monday night or Wednesday night or, or you know, Thursday night, about whatever Bible study you have or whatever group of friends. It involves more than that. It involves you going, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is the life that he wants us to live and, you know, where everything is not planned out. And for some of us, it drives us crazy, absolutely crazy. And I've, I've kind of given up on planning things out because I'm a planner. And in some ways, I, I've kind of given some of that up. I've kind of released it, whatever you want to call it. Because I, like I like to have, you know, all my ducks in a row. I like to get it all worked out. Hence why my backyard's not done. It hasn't, the plan hasn't worked out yet. But I've kind of released some of that to the Lord just because when I do plan it all out, He changes it anyway. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't prepare in life. It doesn't mean that I don't study the Word. It doesn't mean that I don't plan, you know, what I'm going to speak on Sunday. You know, I'll just be led by the Spirit. No, I do my part in it. It just means I don't try to set stuff in stone. This is how it needs to be, and this is how it's going to be done before we go to the Lord. And we don't really get to to see these things until we're needy. Are we in the middle of a crisis? For some reason, that's when we really start to pray and really start to cry out to the Lord. So I want to encourage you in a couple of things. One is, if you're in the middle of a crisis, if you're in the middle of, of, of you're needy, I want to encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Because when Peter cried out, it says immediately the Lord put out his hand. Immediately he helped Peter. Cry out to the Lord. 
Now, it may not be exactly how you thought the Lord was going to help you. So I don't mean immediately come up with a fl- uh, you know, formation of a plan that, that this is how the Lord's going to help you. And if he doesn't do it, you're disappointed in the Lord. That's your thought pattern. But cry out to the Lord. He's ready and he's willing and he's there to help you. But secondly, if you're not in the middle of a crisis, eventually your life will be in the middle of a crisis. So pray now. Start praying now that the Lord will give you the strength to teach you the things to get through those difficult times. We can't wait until it's a crisis point to always go to the Lord. So I want to encourage you to take that time this week. If it starts out as five minutes, then hey, that's better than zero minutes. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you, you need to spend 45 minutes a day with the Lord. That would be good. I think the more time we spend with the Lord, the better off we are. But there is no magic time frame. There is no magic number. There is no magic minutes. It's the quality of spending time with the Lord that matters. Sometimes it may be longer. Sometimes it may be really short. The day's gone crazy and you're just sitting there going, Okay, Lord, I had this moment, this time to be with you. So make the most of it. Make the most of it. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you that you teach us how to make the most out of our lives. That in the middle of our busy schedules, in the middle of our busy lives, as we deal with children or parents or as we deal with relatives or or coworkers or bosses, our jobs, I pray in the middle of all of it, Lord, that we carve out some time with you. That you encourage us to spend that time with you. I pray, Lord, for those that might be going through a crisis right now, that when they cry out, that it's so evident that you've answered their cry, that they're so encouraged that they have a belief in you that just solidifies so, you know, that that just becomes so huge in their lives. I thank you, Lord, that when I cry out, you're there for me. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May it lighten your path in the middle of a crisis. May it calm the seas when you're out on the lake. May his face never, never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.